Welcome to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast, where our goal is to provide small business owners and key decision makers with valuable nuggets to help you grow or simply improve how you run your business, ultimately looking to increase your profitability. My name is Craig Pollock. I'm the founder and CEO of FPA Technology Services, and I'm your host for this podcast. Do you ever wonder what other business owners are running up against out there? Are you too busy working in your business to work on your business? Do you ever feel like you're in this thing alone? Are you at a crossroad with your business where some new ideas would help? For nearly 30 years, I've been helping companies grow and improve their businesses by leveraging technology, whether it's software, hardware, on-prem, or in the cloud, and at the same time, building FPA into the premier IT service provider in the greater Los Angeles area. This experience has given me exposure to hundreds of businesses and all sorts of systems, and as a lifelong learner has helped me gather all I could about the ins and outs of running a business. And these are the sorts of things I want to share with you on this podcast. In today's podcast, I sit down with Kevin Burson, founder and president of Connected Advisors, a full-service M&A advisory firm. Founded in 2014, the objective of Connected Advisors has been to help business owners increase the value of their companies and ultimately sell for maximum value on their terms. Kevin and his team are passionate about helping business owners get a win-win transaction, maximizing the value of their businesses when exiting. Selling a business can be a complex, time-consuming process, and too often business owners haven't even thought about their exit strategy until it's too late. This is one of the reasons I'm so excited to have Kevin on our podcast and share some of his insights with you today. So here we go. Let's dive into our conversation with Kevin. Welcome, Kevin Burson, to our FPA podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. I am too, Craig. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking to you today. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we know we're going to talk all things M&A, but I also think, you know, more importantly, I'd, I'd also like to talk a little bit about, you know, how planning, how a business owner plans for their exit or help, how planning for an exit really helps not only increase the value ultimately, but I think in the short term, it also increases profits by planning for that exit. But before we peel all that stuff back and get into the nitty gritty, I just, you know, I think it would be great to talk a little bit about how you came to found connected advisors, how you do what you do, and then we can kind of, you know, talk a little bit more tech at that point. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, I've had kind of a, I think like most people, you don't really have a straight line career path. I think mine was definitely no different. You know, when I graduated UCLA, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, luckily I found consulting. I, I started out, I thought I was on a law school path. I worked at a law firm when I was at UCLA and ended up working for these fantastic business attorneys, corporate attorneys that did a little bit of M&A. They were great lawyers, but not the best businessmen. And they they had a really big client that they lost and it really kind of upset the whole nature of the firm. So that experience taught me a lot about, I mean, you know, kind of got a little bit excited just being the, the law clerk and looking at the faxes going through the fax machine on, on a big deal they were working on. But I, I, I saw it as an opportunity to, uh, get into consulting. I saw some things that on the business side that they could do a little bit better. And I, 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 that, that I kind of talked myself into my first consulting job. I got hired at Arthur Anderson. My first career was an IT consultant, which I loved. I was um, interesting. very yeah. quickly. Um, this was during the ERP boom in the 90s. I didn't know what SAP was, but I knew it was the hot new skill and had a chance to to get certified in SAP. And then I was off and running and I was working with manufacturing companies and we worked with Oakley and Mitsubishi and Sony. And I, I really enjoyed it. I became a project manager and started managing, you know, smaller teams and larger teams and just really loved it. And then one day in 2002, Arthur Anderson goes out of business. This, you know, a couple of rogue partners in Houston related to Enron just took down a hundred year old, a hundred thousand person firm. And, didn't really know what I was going to do and got a call to go over to Technicolor to be their uh, IT global program manager. They made me a deal and said, hey, I was enrolled. They start my MBA at UCLA and they made me a deal. And they said, hey, we want you to go run this project for us. And if you come in on time under budget, uh, we'll pay for your MBA at USC. I'm like, all right, that's a pretty good deal. I was single. So I went down to Mexico for a year and did a good job. And when I came back, 
things had changed a little bit in the company. There was a new CEO that was an investment banker and he wanted to reposition the company through M&A. And I had a pretty good reputation from my work in Mexico and they uh, started my MBA and they gave me a chance to, at first I was the IT guy that was looking at acquisitions and how we would potentially integrate companies we were buying. And I got to know the team and then they, they gave me an opportunity to really kind of take a step back in my career and go into M&A, leave IT and go into M&A. And I just decided to do it. I, I, and I thought it was pretty exciting. These guys were incredibly smart people. And I just went for it, which was pretty amazing that I had this opportunity at Technicolor and mm-hmm. really fell in love with M&A. These guys were, I mean, it was really exciting. It was at a time when the company was doing really well. It was a $5 billion company based in France. And we were looking at companies all over the place. We did a strategy around digital digital advertising, spent six months studying the market. And then we went out and bought three companies for over $400 million. And I was a key guy on those deals. I got really, they trained me how to build these models and got really good at telling the story and really understand what it takes to get a deal done basically to convince a board of directors of a publicly traded company to, to go for a deal. So it's really just an, an incredible experience over a few years to be in that position where you can, you know, put together a 50 page deck that describes a business in detail and how it's going to fit into the company and how it's going to increase our stock price and have a really well-informed view on the market and the customers and everything about the business. So I loved it. And I'm, I'm kind of going off uh, in a lot of detail here, but no, this is great. This is great. Yeah. I was working 90 to 100 hours every week, which mm-hmm. it's just whether we had a deal or not, it was just the way it was. And I just realized that that wasn't going to be my path for, for too long. Right. So nine years ago, I left the corporate world and started my firm Connected. And uh, initially, I was doing a lot of consulting, uh, helping companies with business plans and pitch decks. And somebody I knew from Technicolor was an executive at Beachbody. Beachbody was looking at doing some some acquisitions, so they brought me in to help them out with some due diligence. I joined a few networking groups around town, and I started to meet some CPAs and attorneys that have business owner clients and just kind of saw this gap in the market to really help small business, lower middle market businesses. This is a the five to $50 million business, and I, I didn't see a lot of expertise in the market and decided to really explore that space. And that's essentially what I've done for the last nine years is, is helped business owners sell their businesses for maximum value. Yeah. No, that sounds outstanding. I mean, your, your background so dovetails into what you're doing now, especially in the tech space. But it's funny, I was I was chuckling to myself about the, the 90s being a boom for, you know, accounting software, because that's, yeah. that's where I cut my teeth as well. So <laughs> uh, brings back memories. So, so, so tell me about Connected. There are a number, I'm, I'm sure, you know, there's a number of firms who do what you do, similar to us, right? It's like, so, but what's unique about you or what's unique about Connected? What do you guys bring to the table that I think is different than others? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, first of all, I think it's a really giant market. I think it's mm-hmm. in general, very underserved. So th- there's room for, for everybody. And we're going through this incredible wealth, wealth, uh, uh, migration from baby boomers to the next generation. So there are a lot of busy baby boomers retiring every day. There's a lot of businesses being bought and sold. So it's, it's a pretty big opportunity. But I think what we do incredibly well is we run really thriving processes. So we are very good at understanding a business inside and out. Uh, the way we market the business is pretty unique. Given my experience at Technicolor at working on pretty large deals, I understand the level of specificity that's required on when you put together a deck mm-hmm. and, and, and the amount of content that you need to convey concisely. So we're very good at writing those board presentations mm-hmm. and that becomes the essential document that buyers use to base their bids on. So that that book is called The SIM, Confidential Information Memorandum. So we're really, really good at that. We're also really good at designing custom uh, strategies for every deal. So certain deals are you know, more likely to go to a strategic buyer. Other deals are more likely to go to a private equity buyer. Some deals could equally go to both. So we will put together a very broad buyer list based on all the possible universal buyers that could, could look at a particular deal. And then we will go out and reach out to all of them 
and try to get them into the process. And that strategy has been very successful. We've had numerous deals where we've had 40 to 50 buyers, you know, look at the company seriously, and we end up getting, you know, four to eight offers on, on most deals that we take on. So we're really good at that. And then personally, my background in IT, I, I was a very good project manager. And that's really something else that we bring to these deals. It's like a lot of transparency, very good at like, you know, understanding dependencies and communicating status to everybody involved. Uh, we're very good at using kind of tools and techniques to do that. Yeah. And, and I can, I mean, I can, I can second that in terms of, you know, we've, we've run across a couple of deals together or brought in or whatever you want to say, but in, in terms of Kevin's process, it's, it's crazy. It's so dialed in and, and from a, from somebody, if you know, disc assessments from somebody with a high C, I'm like all over the project management and the details yeah. that you have. It, it just makes it so much easier to deal with things. Thank you. Yeah. It's outstanding. So one of the things that I, I wanted to talk about was, you know, this, this concept of planning for an exit, right? And and I think, and, and maybe you can ex expand on that a little bit in terms of, I think a lot of people don't, you know, a lot of business owners don't think about exiting until it's time to. And as opposed to, let me prepare my business for exit and what are the benefits or drawbacks of, of thinking about that, right? Without actually having to go through a whole exit process or selling, right? It's like, um, what, what are your thoughts on that? And how do you, how do you work with some of your yeah. thoughts that way? You know, it's, it's so interesting because, you know, I, I, one of the organizations I belong to is called the Exit Planning Institute and they, they publish some data on, mm -hmm. on business owners and how much planning they do. And it's just, the stats are, are, are pretty crazy where like 49% of business owners have done zero planning at all. 94% haven't really thought about what they're going to do next. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's really important that business owners, like, first of all, they know what they're going to do next, because a lot of times you have these businesses for 10, 20, 30 years, you're running these businesses. You can't just one day sell it and then, you know, feel like you're whole, like you have to have something you're running to. So the, the psychology is, is part of it. It's really important that business owners know what they're going to do next. And they spend some time thinking through that. The business also needs to be ready. We'll talk about that in a second. And then the market needs to be ready. And then the other the other part of this, is the, the business owner has to have, you know, kind of idea of what their lifestyle is going to look like going forward. So they have enough money saved up. And, you know, some business owners, frankly, can't afford to sell because the business provides for them and their whole family. And if they don't have a lot of savings, then that, you know, the, the earnings that the business generates and when that runs out, it could be a harsh reality for the family. So mm -hmm. there's this qualitative aspect of what are you going to do psychologically? There's a quantitative aspect of, you know, what is my, what, what are my cash needs going to be for, for the next chapter of my life? And then there's the, the business itself. And that has to be very attractive to buyers as well. I mean, there are that we deal with professional buyers, which are private equity firms and strategic buyers. And Honestly, you get one shot to make a really good first impression with them. They are looking at hundreds of deals a year. And if your story doesn't hold together and your financials don't look right, they're not going to waste their time. They're just going to move on. Mm -hmm. So we look at exit planning as this kind of multi-pronged approach. We're looking at the, the, the psychology uh, of, of the seller, uh, the readiness of the seller from a like, net worth perspective and also the readiness of the business. And when it comes to the business, there's a lot of things that can be done to make the business more valuable and more attractive if you have enough time. You know, you can't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to sell. I mean, maybe you can, but I've seen very few businesses that are that are very, um, you know, that are ready to be well received by the market and will command, you know, multiple offers. Um, you know, a lot of time, a lot of preparation needs to go into that. Mm -hmm. I, I love how the fact, I mean, those are all, I think, hugely important points. But I love how you are considering the concept of the psychology of the seller. Like, what do you do next? Right. And I think, I mean, look, I, the way I think and the way I work, I, I, I look at little things as sort of indicators. And, and to me, that's an indicator. Just the concept that you brought that up is an indicator of your unique selling proposition. You, you care about sell like there's a human aspect to this it's not just a transaction for you right like there's there's something more to it and i think that's you know i think that's pretty cool 
that's a, that's a well, I appreciate that. Approach. I mean, look, the, the yeah. relationship that I have with my clients, it becomes very intense and very deep. And we're working together for, you know, six to 12 months on average. And, and there's a lot of highs and lows in this process. And you mm-hmm. have to have a real meaningful connection uh, to your client or you're just not going to have a good process. So right. you really have to you really have to connect to them on a meaningful level, and it's not just a transaction. I've never like done anything in my career that was just transactional. I've always tried to focus on doing good work for anybody I'm working with, and I consider them you know lifelong contacts, and that's that's how I approach M and A as well. Yeah, and I think that's I mean again that's a reflection of you, and and ultimately that's the reflection of the quality of the service your company delivers, which is awesome. I noticed looking through some of your information, you call yourself a, a deal quarterback. And I think that's such a cool concept because I can, you know, it takes it from this nefarious, you know, what does Kevin really do? Okay, right. M&A. Well, okay, you're the deal quarterback. Right. And not, not to get, I don't know, quirky or markety, right? It's like, it's easy for me to picture that. And I think that's a really cool sort of analogy. Well, it's a team, right? I mean, yeah. it's a team. I, I'm not doing it on my own. It's, you, you have the seller and they're running the business and they need to keep running the business um, mm-hmm. optimally, you know, while we're on market, there can't be any, any dips. Business needs to be running strong, but M&A requires a lot of other professionals. The, um, you know, often when I look at a business, especially in this market, this kind of five to $50 million deal space, mm-hmm. business owners, by and large, underspend on the finance function. Uh, they don't have a professional finance person in the business really looking closely. And so that that is often my first call as an interim CFO, fractional CFO, uh, potentially a new CPA firm that can do this work as well. You know, a lot of times, you know, to get through a deal with a professional buyer, the financials need to be bulletproof. And you need to be able to closely look at margins, you know, from year to year and be able to come up with reports like profitability by client and profitability by, by product. And you need to understand the overhead and staffing. You really need, quickly need to be able to get to the root of all these financials. So I, 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 that's a key person on the team is, is the finance lead. It's essential in every deal. Uh, also, a good corporate attorney becomes indispensable as well. We, I always recommend that the seller engage an attorney that does a lot of M&A work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, that attorney will be very familiar with where the market is on all the various deal points. So if you try to work with an attorney that maybe your labor and employment attorney, nothing against them, but I'm just saying they're not M&A experts, right. you definitely want to bring in the specialist. Uh, there's also tax planning that's involved, which is why the CPA firm is so important. There's also the wealth manager. There's going to be a lot of money in motion. You want to have a plan for how that's going to work and you want that plan to be tax efficient. So, um, you know, generally when I get the call to meet a new business, they're not going to be ready for me initially, but they are probably ready for some of the other folks. So I'm in a position mm-hmm. that I really, I, I get to make a lot of referrals to a lot of other great professionals. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's that's awesome uh, just for our listeners to be thinking of you as a resource above and beyond just M&A, right? Like, cause I do think that there's, you know, there, there's a lot to this networking concept, right? And and I'm a big believer in what comes around goes around. And if you do the right things for the right reasons, it comes yeah, back to you. Exactly, right? exactly. 100%. You gotta look at it as a, you know, lifelong investment. Right, right. So can you tell us like, or give us an example or two of some of the, you said oftentimes people come to you, but they're not quite ready. Like what is maybe what does ready look like? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So to me, ready is you know we talked about the the psychological component. Like, mm-hmm. I'm ready to retire. I know that. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go, you know, be a part of the, these nonprofits. I'm going to play golf. They have a strategy, whatever that is. They have something they're running to. So psychologically, they're ready. Uh, you know, the, the value range that I think the business is going to sell in, they're comfortable with that range. I'm comfortable in that range we're good there. And then the business is not going to have any major, major warts. So like a few of those things, I mean, we want the business to attract the widest possible set of qualified buyers. So we want to optimize the business for certain things. Like, is there recurring revenue in this business? You know, we want to be able to point that out. It's a, a, a business that has a lot of recurring revenue is frankly going to sell at a higher multiple and valuation than a business that's all project based, or they don't know where the next project is coming from. Like my business, with mm-hmm. you know, it, it, 
Very or tough like, business like to Our business. <laughs> yeah. Is the team ready? You know, mm-hmm. what is the team like? Who's going to survive this the sale? You know, the owner will stick around generally, you know, years about the median that they're asked to stick around. But what's who's the team that's staying? Are they going to stay? Are they do they have the right skills to make the transition? Is the company positioned properly? Are they Do they, can they differentiate themselves in the market? Can they tell that story properly of what they do better than their competition? And do they have the data to back that up? Are the earnings showing the right trend? If you've had a couple, you know, maybe you haven't done as well since COVID, that's probably not going to be looked upon too great right now in the market. So you want to be coming through COVID and your numbers should be, you know, where you were in 19, if not better. Those are some things. And do you have a diversified customer base? Do you have any one, if you have any single customer that's more than 25, 30% of sales, well, you're going to have to spend a lot of time during the due diligence talking about that customer and really making a very strong case for why you're confident that the, the buyer is going to continue that relationship. If the buyer has any concerns about that, well, you're going to get dinged on value and deal structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, are your books super clean? All right. You know, if I, When the buyer does a deal, they're going to bring in a third-party accounting firm. They might do something called a quality of earnings, and they're going to scour your financials. And any trend that can't easily be understood and and analyzed, that's going to show up in possibly a a, discount, a a renegotiation. So the books need to be super clean. They need to be done on a a gap, generally accepted accounting principles basis. And, you know, working capital needs to be clearly identified. And there's a standard that financials need to meet to be, be considered, you know, deal worthy. So that has to happen. Are the company's processes documented? Do they, do they know, you know, what does it look like to, to bring on a new person in that role? Do they have those processes done? What is the org chart? Do they have all their agreements in place with customers, suppliers, and employees? All those documents need to be up to date accurate, you know, signatures on them. And we'll organize all that data in a virtual data room and open it up to buyers at the right point in the process. So, mm-hmm. so you know, there's, there's a checklist that we go through and there's at least eight points that we look to maximize before we can go to market. And that's that's all part of this exit planning process. Right, okay. And do you, do you, do you work with clients, you know, to help them sort of prepare for sale? Yeah, absolutely. This is this is a request that we've been getting more and more often. So we've just launched a service called Exit Boost. And the goal of that, so it starts out as an, we'll provide an initial assessment package. And that assessment includes a evaluation of what the business will be worth today, a sellability scorecard on eight the eight different axes that we just talked about. Also, we'll provide a benchmarking analysis of where this company stands to appears in terms of in terms of its margins. And we'll also provide some actionable recommendations that the business can take. And we'll we'll provide that assessment and we'll figure out the right the right fee for that. And then we'll figure out a meeting cadence where we can work together to help make things make these changes happen. And for some clients, it's a quarterly process. For others, it's monthly. But we are are getting more involved in in the exit planning process, and I think it's 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 a win win for everybody because as as long as the the business owner is willing to to put the time and, and behind this, they can definitely make some great great strides to improve the sellability of the business. Yeah, I, I would agree with that 100. Uh, percent I mean, I love this concept, the exit boost concept. I mean, if there's anybody out there who's even wondering what their business is worth or what yeah. to do or give Kevin, you know, give Kevin a call, you know, I'm sure he'll talk to you about this stuff, but this is really cool. And, you know, I have to say from my own experience, like, I mean, I've owned the business FPA for 32 years now. Yeah. Started it in 91. I tagline is usually that, you know, I started it in 91. And I'd like to say I started it when I was nine, but I'd be lying. (laughs) Definitely would date me. But I probably started thinking, not, not thinking about exiting, but thinking about building a business that's exitable. Right. Probably in the last eight years. So like for 20 something years, I was just thinking business 
profits, business profits, business, right? Like it's it, not that it was a lifestyle business, but I didn't really put two and two together. And when I started really running the business as though, what do I need to do so I don't need to be involved? What can I make? Can I make this business standalone? And can, you know, what does it look like if I'm not involved? Make it sellable. Right. Without right. the concept of being sell, you know, I wasn't looking right. to sell, but we're like now like we're, we're, we're the, the happiest we've ever been. We're the, our clients are the happiest they've ever been. We're more profitable than we've ever been. And, you know, we're more stable than we ever have been. And it's, I, I believe it's because, you know, way back when at some point eight years ago or so it was what do I want this business to look like? And I started running, you know, we started running it differently. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, you know, with this exit boost program. What, uh, what was the catalyst for you? Like, well, how did you change your, your focus? What, 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 you, you know, it's interesting. I haven't really thought about that till you just posed that question, no. but, um, it sort of coincides. I was, I was in Vistage at the time yeah. and I, I really didn't have at that time, I didn't have like a, a second in command. I didn't have a right. COO to run things. And so I was wearing 20 different hats and running right. around like crazy. And I joined this group uh, of IT service providers called Evolve. It's mm -hmm. uh, IT Nation Evolve. And not that they were preaching M&A, but they were preaching because a majority of people who own IT service companies, one, they're not business people to start with. And two, they're, they're technicians and they're not thinking about running a business as a business owner, they're running it right. as a technician. And so their whole thing was, how do you create this entity that's sort of self-sufficient, right? That's the ultimate goal. And I, I don't know, you know, if all these things came together at the same time, but I think that there was some impetus of, Hey, I should, I should look at this a little different than I have been. Right. And yeah, here we are. Uh, on a podcast. <laughs> That's great. And it sounds like it's working. And yeah, I mean, all the, all the behaviors that you would do to make your business more sellable are just good business things. And they should also help you, you know, make the business run more efficiently too. You know, it makes right. sense that you have a team in place that are, you know, highly performing and your processes are documented. So everybody knows what they're supposed to do and job roles are very clear and your books are, are meaningful. I mean, these are all, this is just good business. It is good business, but it's, you know, again, coming back from, and, and I have this industry to lean on or, or talk about as an example, just because it's been so many years and that's what I focused on, but most of, and I'll just talk about IT service providers, but most IT service providers are, are doers who came to own a business, right? right. And you know, it's not like they went to business school. It's not like they went to accounting, you know, school or anything like that. Right. So they're just doing stuff. And I think it's, it, that's a pretty big chasm to jump, right. To go from doing stuff to running. Yeah. Stuff, right. right. Well, it's great that these, these groups like Vistage and EO and Evolve exist because you mm -hmm. really need that, that peer group. And, and, and it's probably the best way to learn too, I think. It um, is. Yeah. It, it's, it, and it's so applicable, right? Because uh, you're in a group with other business owners and pretty much you have no place to hide, right? Yeah. It's like, here are my books. Here's what's going on. Here are my problems. I remember I went into my first Evolve meeting and I was, you know, hemming, hemming and hawing over a, a problem employee at the time. And literally one of those employees that, that everybody says are cancerous, right? Like yeah. they're, they're really good at what they do, but occasionally they blow up and it just drives the company crazy. Yeah. And everybody in the meeting is like, well, you know what you need to do. Right. You just, you don't want to admit it to yourself. Right. And it's like, yeah, you're right. Well, that's great. I mean, yeah. So right. you, you probably would have let it fester longer, you know? So. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So to your point, those are, these are great groups. And, um, but anyway, coming back to, you know, running your business with, with an exit in mind, even though you're not exiting, it's just, it's a mindset, right? It doesn't, you know, and that's why I think, you know, this exit boost program that you have, that's just so cool. And I think, you know, I think every business owner should take a, an opportunity at, at, at looking at that because 
Yeah, I think the discussions are valuable. You know, just I think there's there's so many misconceptions out there about valuation and how the process works and what does it take to be ready. You know, so it, I think it just it just benefits a lot of business owners just just talking to me or somebody that does what I do to just you know right. get 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 a baseline understanding of how it works. I mean, there's so many people walking around that, you know, have some kind of project-based business, but they think they're going to trade at a revenue multiple or, you know, their friend at the country club with a roofing business got 10 times, but 10 times what? And, you know, nobody right. really thinks through the, the deal, you know, deal structure is also a big part of it. That's really, you know, people just really focus on the headline number. I got eight times EBITDA, but what did you get at closing? How much cash at closing did you get? What was the mm -hmm. deal structure? Those are these are things that that I think a lot of people don't don't really talk about. Yeah, big time. Um, I do think too, like especially when you're you know when you're a technician who's moved into an owner role, is and especially if you're doing this for a number of years and you know you're making a good living, you're making money. There's this there's this misconception of the value of their business, right? Yeah. Like, well, I have a two million dollar business. Well, no, that your top line is two million. It might right. not be worth two million. Right. right. You know, the, the reality is, is, and I've had a lot of these conversations when I've gone out to, you know, look for buyers, look for not buyers, look for sellers so that I can yeah. buy is just this disconnect between what, what they think it's worth and what it's actually worth. Yes. And, you know, it's, you got to take your ego out of it first off. And then second is like, okay, if you had this amount of money to invest, where would you invest it? Right. And so if you have $2 million and, and you have a $2 million that $2 million that you're available to go buy a business with, and you run across a $2 million business that's generating a hundred thousand dollars worth of revenue, like, well, that, that's going to take you 20 years to break even. Like that's not a good investment. Yeah. And, and you know, so that's where I think this disconnect for a lot of these business owners come from is like, you know, it's your baby. There's so much emotion attached to it, but you you have to take that that emotion away. Have you have you run into those situations or? Oh yeah, yeah. I know these businesses. You know, for a lot of business owners that have had had their businesses 10, 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, they're children, and mm -hmm. they they're not rational about it. And often, you know, their children are working in the business, and it presents a whole other series of complications as well. So it's very hard for people to be objective about their businesses for mm -hmm. sure. So yeah. this is definitely, you know, another reason why the exit planning is important is just before you go to market, you know, just, just have that kind of check-in, just know, get, get an informed point of view on, on where things are likely to shake out. Right. Do you have like, are there specific areas? I mean, I know we covered those areas in terms of, you know, generally saying it, increasing the business owner's value. But like, if you had to say, here's one or two things that you would tell somebody, here, here's, you know, here's here's the two biggest things or whatever that would impact your business in the most positive way. What, what would you throw I, I would there? say having your books professionally prepared, mm -hmm. uh, That that's essential. Number one, and you, you need that person on your team and it could be a fractional CFO and it's, it's you know not a huge investment to do that, but you just need somebody very qualified to do it. And then I think really looking at your customers and figuring out, is there, is there a, a, a concentration issue here? Because that that's always, it's very common for that to happen when you have a customer that's, you know, a very large customer that's a meaningful percent of your sales that, that seems to come up on, on. I'd say more than 60% of my deals where there's some kind of mm -hmm. concentration discussion that needs to happen with the buyer. And, you know, you can get through it as long as you can, you know, convince the buyer that this is a, a multi-threaded relationship or working with different, different divisions of that company. But it's just something that you really have to be prepared to go into. And then I think, you know, just the financial performance also needs to be strong. You, you, you can't, if you're in a state of decline, it's going to be a really tough process and buyers are just going to see blood in the water and you're just going to get low ball offers. So mm -hmm. you have to be going to market at a point where you're ideally growing, you know, the business is growing, it's continuing to thrive and it's just all the buyer needs to do this is the story. The buyer needs to just put some fuel on the fire and we can continue to grow this thing. You gotta be, you gotta be coming into a process from a position of strength. 
Uh, the, I think those are incredibly key points. I think, you know, around the whole accounting side, I, I see it all the time in, in my group and other groups and certainly over the years, you know, similar to you, because we grew up, grew up's a relative term, but <laughs> grew up implementing accounting packages like, okay, I understand gap. I understand what a cruel, you know, based yeah. accounting is. Um, I don't know how many times I've, I've spoken to people who are like, oh, I had a great month. I, you know, I got, I closed this deal and I got the down payment. So we made, you know, another 30,000 this month or whatever. Right. And it's like, well, did you do any of the work? No, exactly. That's a liability. That's yeah. not, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild how, there's I mean, so, there's just so yeah. little financial literacy out there. It's, it's yeah. really pretty shocking. It is. It is really shocking. I, you know, and maybe it's just because again, I've grown up with it. Like it's just so second nature to look at a P and L and understand what's going on and be able to tell the health of a business, especially with a trend report. Right. But that acuity, that, that knowledge at the business owner level, I think that's so invaluable because then you can hold people accountable as you're running the business, as opposed to relying on somebody else. Right. Right. And it's, it's, Relative. How can you hold people accountable if you don't know what the right metrics are? Exactly. Exactly. And don't have confidence in what your numbers are. I mean, I I don't know how many conversations I've had that with peers around. Oh yeah, we're you know we're running into this problem. How do you know? Well, because I feel it. What do your numbers say? But anyway, so do you have like an example of of where maybe you know? Just so you can give us an example of where you've added some value in the process, you know, um, or the created additional value in the deal for some for one of your clients. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. So I, a really nice case study we had was a couple of years ago. Um, we sold an e-commerce company for over a hundred million. It was absolutely an incredible story. It was a great business. It was a referral through one of my uh, networking groups, mm-hmm. and I met the business met the business owner, I think like four and a half years before, you know, there's a four and a half year time span between initial meeting and closing the deal. And, and this, uh, this is a special business. There's an e-commerce business, but they, it was an alternative lifestyle, alternative apparel business. They knew their customer incredibly well and they delighted that customer. Mm -hmm. So this, the founders had a three-year plan to grow this business. Um, and, and I think, you know, what I did is I stayed in touch with them. And when we were about a year away from going to market, that's when we became engaged and we put together a, and, and this seller, I give them so much credit because they were just excellent listeners and they, they trusted in us and they trusted in the process. So this, you know, we, we ultimately, we thought we were going to get somewhere between 40 to 60 million and we ended up with you know, hundred over a hundred million on this deal. Hmm. And the business was growing really fast and it was growing, you know, they benefited from the e-commerce explosion during, during COVID, but we also did a lot right to prepare it. We, we brought in the perfect CFO. This was a person that experienced in the industry, taking similar companies public, uh, like fortune 500 caliber CFO Hmm. that got the company through you know, audits and it was an international company. So they needed audits in the U S and the UK. We also did a sell side quality of earnings, uh, to really go deep in the numbers and make sure we could justify the EBITDA number that we were showing. Mm-hmm. We did a really good job on that. We also did a lot of tax work individually for the sellers. They created an extremely tax efficient structure. They were very careful that the business was based in, uh, in the UK and the owners were very careful never to establish any residency in the US or, or California. So they, uh, they, they did <laughs> yeah. very careful planning and end up paying incredibly small amount of taxes on this deal. But this was a, a very interesting deal with a great company. And we were really good at telling the story of the company and pulling out the key metrics that buyers needed to see. Like in this case, this is a business with an incredibly strong brand, an incredibly strong uh, uh, social media profile, so they are, they have millions of followers on their social channels. They are able to acquire users very inexpensively mm-hmm. and then basically turn that customer into a customer, you know, that was worth 50 times, I forget the exact number, but a, a huge multiple of its, of its initial customer acquisition cost. So we were able to really pull those numbers out and show clear growth in that 
clearly demonstrate that this company was a market leader that was continuing to delight their customers and um, customers, we were able to show that customers would continue to reorder, you know, every so often. And we had all this amazing data and that's what really sealed the deal to, you know, prove to buyers that this was, you know, a company that had a machine here that was really repeatable. Um, and yeah, we ended up with a, a, a tremendous outcome during COVID and it was a complex international deal where business was based in the UK. We're in Southern California. The buyer was in Northern California. The sellers were living in Hong Kong. So it was just a, a very complicated deal, but we brought the right team and uh, the sellers were just fantastic partners and we just had a really nice outcome. You know, it's very fortunate. It's a, definitely a, a rare experience to have, have one like that. And, it, you know, we went to market in March of 2020. So it was like, wow, right, crazy, right, right when everything I, hit. I, yeah, right. I didn't, you know, I didn't think there was any way we we're going to get a deal done, honestly. Uh -huh. and, but sure enough, people are home and. Yeah, you know, these are um, you know relatively reasonable. You know, just a, a little uh, people like the little little purchases, little little right retail therapy. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, how long was that? You know, I I know you mentioned it was like four and a half years between when you first met him and the close, but how long was the 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 transaction process, or how long was you know they came to you and then you closed? We we went to market in March of 2020, and we closed in November of 2020. Hmm. That's just, and it, and in the thick of it, in the thick of it. Yeah. It was As before, <laughs> before any, you know, vaccines before, like you're right in the middle of all that. Yeah. Yeah. And we were right in the middle of all of it. It was a crazy time. I mean, at one point the company started making, it was an apparel company. They started making mm -hmm. masks to be able to keep their central business status going, which was right. a very smart move and <laughs> a lot, a lot of pivots. But it, it was just one of those dream projects. Wow, that sounds awesome. Did you learn anything from that experience? You know, there's there's sort of this pre-pandemic mindset and now post-pandemic mindset, right? And I think we look at the world a little bit differently that we actually came into something that was, you know, earth-shaking, right? I mean, not an earthquake, but, you know, just like, hey, everything's going to stop. And we never thought, we'd have something like that in our lifetime. So do you think you learned anything during that transaction or since that transaction that, that might apply now versus before? I mean, I think fundamentally the way that, you know, deals M&A works, uh, you know, we were able to do the entire transaction over Zoom, which was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. um, it, we, we ended up, I mean, I, I, it's a good thing I had a relationship with the seller before the pandemic, because you have to develop a, a real authentic relationship with the seller. And it's very tough to do that exclusively over Zoom. So so we we already had a pretty strong relationship going in, which was great because that was essential. But the buyer, I mean, we had every call was over Zoom. At one point, uh, the owner of the private equity firm did fly down to LA and we did have a meeting with him, but that was, you know, days, days before the deal is going to close. So, mm -hmm. so it, you can do an entire deal over Zoom. It's probably, it's still not ideal. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it because right. you really have to make sure that the chemistry is genuine. And I think that's something I knew and, and it just kind of reinforced it. It's just you, to get for a deal to really feel right. There has to be chemistry there on both sides. You can't force it. And I think it's, it's kind of tough to establish that over Zoom. Um, yeah, I was going to say one of the one of the most interesting things that that I find uh, difficult to get past in you know in any M and A deal, but certainly in what we do, is is the culture piece and how yeah. do you integrate two different cultures? How do you how do you define what a business's culture is and then figure out how do you integrate it? Like, is is there any any um, do you have any input on that or have you run into? Well, that I before? think you know I think it's important on every deal to you know when, once you get it. You know, and, and we just did this on the, the recent MSP deal I worked on, and and we, you know, we reached out to a lot of buyers, and we had a a few a, a few offers, and um, the, the the sellers really wanted to feel the chemistry with the buyer. So, mm -hmm. and, and we kind of we kind of knew which way we wanted to go before we you know signed the LOI. Before we got we we had dinner. You know, we had a we had a casual dinner, and I think that's you know break bread. Mm -hmm. and, and and have a, a casual dinner and just talk about the future and, and and make sure everyone's aligned. I think you can't shortcut that process. And I think it's a it's a 
it's an opportunity to really forge the relationship together and get everybody on the same page. So I think it's it's really essential, you know, before you can get too far down the process, you have to you have to break bread, sit down and, and make sure that, you know, that this could work from a cultural perspective. I think it's it, it's really important not to not to shortcut that process. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think especially for, you know, like you're talking about, if it's a primary owner, primary, you know, somewhere between five and 50 million privately held, that's, that's a completely different sort of transaction, especially for somebody who's owned the business for years and years and years, right? Definitely has to figure, you have to figure out the culture piece and the, the ownership, right? Like you said, it's your kid, it's your baby. And you got to feel good about handing the keys to that to your child over to somebody else. Um, so we're, we're coming close to our time here. I wanted to, um, speaking of culture, I just wanted to peel this back a little bit and ask you a couple questions about, about, you know, Kevin, what makes Kevin tick? Um, so what, what, what does make Kevin tick? What drives you these days? You know, you've had such a great career to this point. Curious what drives you still? I want to be a good provider for my family. I have two kids that are 11 and 13, and I want to make sure that I can send them to good schools and be able to send them to good colleges eventually. So I want to be a good provider. I also want to be a good role model for them. My wife is also an entrepreneur, and we we have a lot of talks about business in front of the kids, and we want to show them that we're both self-made and hardworking people. So a lot of it is for them. And I just, you know, really enjoy the feeling that I get. I, it, you know, it felt so great. We, I, we had a nice dinner to celebrate this MSP transaction a couple weeks ago, and it just, it just feels so wonderful to to work with a couple. And this couple wanted to retire their, you know, retirement age. And you know, I talked to them a few years before and really advised them that the business wasn't going to be sellable. This was like 2018. It wasn't going to be sellable. And then, you know. I give them a lot of credit. They made some major improvements to the business. They got the profitability up. They boosted their recurring revenue and turned it into a nice business so we could sell it. And it just felt so great to be the person that could you know, relieve their anxiety and help them with this process and introduce them to a whole bunch of great buyers, yourself included. You're, you're at the top of the list of, 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 of firms to work with. Well, thank you. But um, yeah, it just yeah. felt so great to just hear them at that closing dinner, just thank me for changing their life for the better. I mean, it's just, you know, it's so rare to be in a position where you actually get to do that. And, you know, it doesn't happen often. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work on two to three deals a year, but you know, those couple of days a year when you're at those closing dinners, it just makes it all worth it. It just feels so great to, to help this couple. You know, there's so much anxiety around this M&A process and what does it mean mm -hmm. and how do we do it? And there's just so many unknowns and it's just big black box. So just to be able to, to, to make it, um, to, to help them with it and help them navigate through it and be that quarterback. It just, it just feels great. It really does. That's awesome. That that's so cool. And I think, I, I think what, you know, what I heard in, in all of that, which is great stuff, but to me, like I've always, not always, but I've always stepped back and said, you know, my job, my most important job is being a dad. Yeah. Like, like right. Is, is how do I, how do I instill these values? How do I create this mindset? from for my kids and that's what it sounds like you're doing which is awesome right i mean that that's 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 going to be the biggest impact we leave right really is um i hope so <laughs> yeah it will be i'm sure i'm sure yeah so i think you know i think we covered a lot of stuff and i think this was this was super informative to me i would say one last question i have for you well second to last question last question is always how do we get in touch with you? But um, what would you tell your 25 year old self based on what you know now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm kind of prone to anxiety myself and I do like tend to stress about things, but the uh, the message is just, just do good work. Just, you don't know what your next chapter is gonna be and don't try to predict it. Like your, 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 your career path will open itself up to you in a way you can never predict. Mm -hmm. So just make sure you treat people well and do really good work. And you, you never know who's gonna, you know, kind of help you get to the next step or who might be a client or who might be a referral source one day, just give it your all in everything you're doing and be open to new opportunities 
uh, in ways that you might ordinarily not. That's awesome. That That's really cool. I appreciate that. And I think that's super important, especially for, I mean, for your kids, for my kids, you know, I feel like there's so much pressure on kids now to figure out what they're going to do. And it's not the same as it was 30, 40, yeah. 50 years ago, right? It's like, I think you got to, you know, be okay with failing, try some stuff. You know, you got time. That, that's the most important thing. You got time and figure it out. But anyway, so I heard, I heard you, UCLA and USC. Yeah. So who do you root for then? I'm a UCLA guy. Yeah. No, Eight. no question about it. My, my dad went there. My dad played baseball at UCLA. My brother went there. Definitely solid UCLA uh, sports allegiance. All right. Um, I'm glad we cleared. I, I had a great, up. I had a great experience getting my MBA at USC and great community uh, mm -hmm. of peers, but I'm a UCLA guy. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll do the eight clap on our way out. Nice. <laughs> All right. So I was going to say, like I said, last question, which is just how can we get in touch with you? And, you know, we'll have all your contact info and everything in the show notes and whatnot. But anything specific or any any last words of wisdom you'd like to throw out there? Or? No, it's just been a pleasure to talk to you. You asked very insightful questions and uh, I'm, I'm glad we connected. And I really appreciate you inviting me on your podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think, you know, thank you for that. But it was all you. You had some great content here. I mean, some great, I think, super informative. I mean, any any of our clients, anybody who owns a business should should listen to this. Um, but, you know, or at a minimum, listen to this. At a maximum, reach out to Kevin. He's the man. He knows how to do this. Um, so, yeah, awesome stuff. I appreciate your time. This has been great. And, you know, I'm sure we will talk soon. Sounds good, Craig. Thanks again. Great. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon, Kevin. And that was Kevin Burson, founder and president of Connected Advisors. I hope you found our conversation as interesting as I did. It's always great to dive into the mind of a subject matter expert like Kevin, and there were certainly a lot of nuggets there, so I hope you can leverage some of them in your business. Thanks again, Kevin, for your time and sharing all of your great thoughts with our listeners. And if you'd like to find out more about what Kevin Burson and Connected Advisors has to offer or want to connect with him, check out the show notes for more details. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.